I am Paul Dager, your host for this conversation on mindfulness. And in this episode, I had the pleasure of talking with Sonia Jandubi, who is a former clinical therapist turned transformative coach. She's calling in from San Francisco, California, her hometown, and is excited to share about her mindfulness journey. You can learn more about her work on her website at wayfindcoaching.com or on Instagram at wayfindcoaching. Please now enjoy this conversation about Sonia's mindfulness journey. Sonia, welcome. And I, I so appreciate you taking time out of your, your day today and connecting on having a conversation about mindfulness and all the all the richness and all the challenges and everything in between that comes with it. What seems like a good starting point? Well, I'm so glad to be here, first of all. And I'll say that my experience with mindfulness has been has had a lot of twists and turns. Oh, I love it. <laughs> And Let's cover the twist and turns. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's that's a good place to start. I think I was introduced to mindfulness through the like self-help world a long minute ago. <laughs> I had been introduced in a, in a way to mindfulness that in hindsight I think was very rigid, where the concept oh. of meditation was you need your mind to be blank. Oh, no. And oh, no. that was... <laughs> as you can imagine, very challenging. Uh, and impossible. <laughs> also impossible. They didn't make it sound impossible, though. They made it sound really possible. And I think that created a dynamic where it mm. felt like there was meditation done right and meditation done wrong. And it felt like I constantly was falling in meditation done wrong because I couldn't achieve okay. this impossible thing. Of, But I committed to it because, again, in the like the self-help podcasting space that I'd been listening to, it was very like, you have to commit to it and just power through and mind over matter kind of approach. And I spent about a year and a half with a daily meditation practice. Under those conditions. Yes. And I love a streak. Like I am, if you show me an app that has like a streak <laughs> and it tells me that I'm on like 412 days, that is going to just really feed my ego, which is the really honest answer. And it kept me motivated. And then one day I missed a day and mm -hmm. I stopped practicing because it was such an intent, like there was such a high barrier to entry. And I'd been taught that it was just this one thing and it was so hard. And it took me a really long time to get back into a mindfulness practice after such an intense right-wrong experience. That's really what the, the the experience it left me with was this idea that there is a good way to do it and a bad way to do it. And if it's bad, then like you're just not trying hard enough. Yeah, which was a really unfortunate introduction, I would say. I am thrilled to have you as a guest to get this message out mm. because mm -hmm. my guess is this is far more common. Two things are coming to mind. One is if you look at two of the qualities or characteristics of mindfulness, of suspending judgment and suspending striving, mm -hmm. you were full bore on both. That's what your instructions were. Yeah. And the double bind of it all. Mm-hmm. Yes. There was definitely very little neutrality <laughs> in the practice. <laughs> None of that. <laughs> And, you know, I'm thinking back to the way mindfulness was presented in in my graduate school program. And when I was interning and, and learning to be a clinician, there was such an emphasis on the same kind of model of like, this is what meditation is. You want to have a seated practice. Your seated practice needs to be at least X number of minutes. And then like, this is what you need to be doing. And then every time you have a thought, you like go back. And it was just like- How academic. <laughs> there, 
Yeah, very <laughs> academic. <laughs> Oh my goodness. And unfortunately, I'm sure that I presented that, you know, as I was developing as a clinician, I'm sure I presented meditation in that way yeah. to others, um, yeah. which I think is a really, you know, a mistake on my end. And it, it helps me better understand with a lot more distance why people drop the practice. Yeah. Um, you know, have maybe unfortunate experiences or don't feel connected to it or feel like they can't do it right. Because that's definitely what I was left with. So I have two thoughts. I'm trying to decide which one to go with here is, <laughs> so what, first of all, continuing with your journey, what invited you back in in a different doorway? Mm, yeah. What did invite me back in? <laughs> wow. That's a, I'm realizing I'm really sitting with that one. I think about all of the times that I tried to pick med meditation back up and how I was still left with some of these lingering thoughts that had been imprinted that I had like a, like a residue. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. And I, you know, I think it's, I would say much more recently, which now that I think about it, I probably started meditating about over 10 years ago, maybe okay. 15. So yeah. to think that it's only been in the last handful of years that I've experienced mindfulness in a different way and that I've given myself permission or I've heard people talk about mindfulness in an, in a way that felt much more accessible. I think over time, the impact of what I had been taught had slowly fall away. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I would say the academic <laughs> mindset or even some of the, the trainings that I had been exposed to in my work as a as a therapist, definitely perpetuated a rigid one size fits all. There mm -hmm. is a way to do it. That doesn't leave a lot of flexibility, doesn't leave a lot of space for creativity or exploration. And I also don't think that it recognizes some of the some of the roadblocks that can show up for you in, in mindfulness. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that the mind over matter thing is is definitely a concept that stayed and that I saw show up again and again and again in different spaces. And it was yeah. really when I met folks who talked about it from a lens of like contemplative practice that it was like, oh, there's actually like a lot of ways to do this. It's not, I don't need to like buy just a a chair that I sit in and then this is like this is my meditation chair and then this is what I do for 60 minutes or that felt very <laughs> confined it's like oh my yeah. goodness I can access this practice and exploration in, in different ways and, and I'm wondering if the introduction in an academic setting and maybe even as a therapeutic intervention lended itself to some of that rigidity which then is replicated when you learn it in that way. And then you go to teach it to someone else as a therapeutic intervention. I think spot on, which yeah. is really, gosh, it's so unfortunate. The word that keeps coming to mind is confining. Like there's something that mm. feels very bound when what I've experienced is when I have been able to really be in presence and release a lot and be open, which are some of the words that come to mind when I think about Okay. Mindfulness practices that have been really giving to me that I felt that I've left that practice and been like, wow, that was so profound. It's the, it's, it's not the like bound and confined. It's the open and receiving. Yeah. And just a really so radically different from a, from a personal experience. The place that I want to make sure that we, we touch on is for someone who has not begun the journey to access this innate capacity, or maybe they've started out and just the, the twist and the turns and the bumps and then, you know, the, the confinement has 
pushed them away. What's your message to those folks about, from your journey, another way in? Mm-hmm. My first thought is you're not doing anything wrong. I love it. And my other thought is there are so many avenues to mm-hmm. be connected with presence, to be open, to have moments of peace and mm. tranquility that you can find within. There are so many ways to do that. Okay. And you can find what works for you. And there isn't what works for someone else doesn't need to be what works for you. Whether that means you're sitting in the sun, whether running is your mindfulness. There are so many ways to access this. And yeah. it can be it can be while you're doing something. I think that was also something that was a really almost revolutionary thought for me was yeah. yeah. I can be walking and that can be a way for me to access this. I could be running. I could be, yeah, just really in tune with the moment. Mm-hmm. And I think when we realize that it's about holding space and cultivating experience rather than achieving this one steady state, I think that can also be really freeing. Holding space and cultivating experience. I really like phrasing it in that way because it is a radical shift from outcome driven. Yeah. And I think that it was through Kristen Neff and Chris Germer's work around self-compassion also found to be really supportive. There was this, in one of their books, they talk about self-compassion is something that you, that you're all, you know, that you're recommitting to, right? You'll, Mm. you'll experience moments of it and then it slips through your fingers and then you experience Mm -hmm. moments of it and you are returning to it. And that is also how I see connecting with my mindfulness practice. Okay. And realizing that it's okay when it slipped through my fingers. It's I didn't do anything wrong. It it, yeah, it doesn't yeah. mean that I'm not trying hard enough or that I didn't commit to the practice. It's it's twofold. It's both the idea that self-compassion is something that you're it's almost cyclical you get closer to it you move further away from it Hmm. and using that same concept for my experience with mindfulness really helped and then applying self-compassion to myself okay okay (laughs) when when i felt the judgment coming up of oh like it's only been 15 seconds and you already have like you're already getting distracted you're already planning in your mind yeah i think there's been a lot of letting go of rigidity and holding space for just what is in the moment. You brought back full memory. I self-imposed. I once heard this quote that the, the purest meditation is right when the bell rings. And I remember I would I would lay the judgment on right then, was this a good or bad meditation mm-hmm. if I was aware or lost in thought when the bell rung? That micro moment determined if I did it right or wrong. And so that's mm-hmm. what I was relating to your description of that's how I did it for many, many years. Even though I professed all the qualities and characteristics, I, I still finally had to have a an honest moment with myself about, dude, you are laying the judgment on heavy. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's just as humans and maybe like type A, maybe part of it, you know, I'll claim that mm-hmm. <laughs> as far as this right or wrong. And I was, I, I had to deem it right or wrong. So I really love shifting from that rigidity to a spaciousness where things flow things happen and greeting those with a compassion. What a mm-hmm. shift. And what you're what you're sharing is is bringing a, a reflection to my mind, which is this idea that we can learn so much about ourselves with how we interact with the practice. Oh yeah. Because as you noted, you know, you said that you had imposed rigidity. I think that rigidity is something that I show up 
in a lot of spaces with. And and of course, it was also going to show up with this practice. And so as I've softened my rigidity in life in general, I've been able to also soften in regards to this. So I think there's a, a mirroring that you can have. And that can yeah. be a question folks can hold is how am I approaching this? And how might I also be approaching other things in my life that are challenging in a similar way? We do it everywhere, right? Our formal sitting time is just a reflection of what we're doing the other 23 hours of the day. Yes. Wonderful message for people starting out or people that have been kind of blown out of the water. What do they need to hear about, especially folks showing up for the first time? Inviting folks to share what preconceived notions they have. What are they already bringing to the table about how they relate or think about this practice and allowing people to name that, to explore what that is because I think that's a very big part of how people's experiences are going to unfold. It's like everything that they're bringing to the table and that it's going to shift what they're also going to integrate. Yeah, we yeah. receive through the lenses of our beliefs. And so mm-hmm. if you're bringing to the table, I think meditation is only X, Y, Z can have such an impact by just getting curious about, well, what do you think about meditation? What does that mean to you? Right. Um, what do you anticipate is really challenging? What have you tried and hasn't worked for you? There's two things I really love about that. One is, because curiosity is certainly this receiving what's there, that mm-hmm. instead of being told what their experience should be, you're being invited into a, huh, isn't that interesting sort of mode. Yeah, exactly. And I think it also speaks to our uniqueness as as people that, yeah. again, things are not one size fits all. And Versus just doing it as like, you know, this is the PowerPoint presentation. We're all going to learn the same <laughs> bullet. <laughs> well, and you, you also brought back another wonderful memory. So the, the first style I was trained in was with eyes open, which was really Ooh. weird at first. Yeah, being in oh a room of 100 people packed in with eyes open. And I, I remember one time these were old, old buildings and there was a, a mouse appeared in front of me. And the mouse was looking at me <laughs> and I was looking at it. And I, I kept thinking like, what do they think is going on? I don't know what a mouse thinks, but a hundred people sitting in silence. Are they like, are they curious? Are they just wondering, is there some food in here? Um, So that was like, when your eyes are open, weird things happen. Then I went on my first Vipassana retreat. And I remember closing eyes really was trippy the first time I did it. And I'm I'm very visual in how I, uh, my thinking process. And to your point of there's more than one way to do this, I found it to be really a initially really hard to make that change because I'd gotten unintentionally rigid in this one lineage, this one practice. And I think there is mm-hmm. some value because then I did like a Shinzen Young retreat. His approach mm-hmm. is very different. I think there is some value in checking out different lineages, different approaches. And I think you begin to maybe it even helps the mirroring all the more because now you're in like a different container to see what shows up there. Yeah. I'm curious, as you went from eyes opened to eyes closed, you're saying that it was trippy. I'm curious about that. What about it was trippy and how did it change your mindfulness practice? And actually, I'm going to draw upon Shinzen Young here because he talks about like thoughts present either as auditory or visual. Mm. And it brought that the the visual nature of thoughts became more vivid with eyes closed. It began to highlight this other way of experiencing thoughts Mm. that I hadn't 
touched before. And so initially, mm-hmm. it's kind of like, whoa, what do I what do I do with this? And then realizing, oh, it's the same thing I do when I hear a thought. I just step back and observe it. But that required some in- intentionality to make that shift of coming back to the basics of there's nothing to do here other than hold the, hold the space and what shows up within it. The eyes open meditation is now I'm interested in trying. Hopefully I won't <laughs> encounter a mouse while I'm meditating. <laughs> I don't know if that's what I'm calling in. But, uh, yeah, well, careful what you uh, don't wish you for. Wish for. <laughs> yeah, and I still have in my practice now, I spend some time I, eyes open, some time eyes closed. Mm-hmm. And it's when I transition from a concentrated focus into a broader awareness, I begin my awareness with eyes open. And I just find that it is a different experience that now I've been doing that for many years, doing the mix of both. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm comfortable with both. But yeah, if you haven't done it with eyes open, check it out and see what, look, you're dropping one more fragment of rigidity and now opening your eyes when you practice. <laughs> you see, and this is proof that there there are so many pieces of that rigidity that still hold. Because as you were describing that, I was like, eyes open? What? The first thing that I was ever taught or always hear is, and softly close your eyes or have a soft downward gaze. <laughs> it's always <laughs> the same instruction. <laughs> and and to be offered the option of eyes open, right? I Again, like there are so many ways to experience this and that's showing up right now in our conversation. Well, I just remembered there's an instruction of put 25% of your focus on your breath. And early on, I'm mm. like, Am I doing 30% or am I doing 25% right now? It's like, don't give my mind something like that to have Mm -hmm. to figure out and wrestle with because I will spend the next hour figuring that out. And I think that speaks again to initial instructions. This is part of, I think, pulling back the curtain of mystery. Like, I think sometimes we need to throw out some of the lofty language we use Mm -hmm. and just talk like human beings, you know, like, this is hard. This sucks. You know, let's, let's, let's bring this to a rubber meets the road way of understanding it. I completely agree. I think the element of language and how we can get caught up in what certain things mean and realizing that what one, like how you might define something isn't necessarily how someone else would define something. And I think we're back to the importance of getting curious. Mm. What is, what has been your experience with mindfulness? What do you think when I say hold space, what do you think about that? What does that mean to you? Yeah. What, what Are you the already hell does that mean? <laughs> right. Because then I think we get stuck in, you know, even as you were saying the 25%, I, th- I was thinking, oh, how much, how much time do I spend thinking about my breath? Am I thinking about it now? So it, it's very quickly, <laughs> right? You can get caught up in these, yeah. these things, these instructions. What is the value of exploration and playfulness? Mm-hmm. in this practice? And how can that also be the avenue through which people connect and develop their mindfulness and meditation? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. There's so many ways of messaging because that can really turn some folks off. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, this is not for me at all. So I think there is something about messaging here. And maybe it's if you're not connecting with how the person's offering it, there's other teachers out there. Find the one that you connect with. Yes. Underscore that. <laughs> there are other options. Yeah. Uh, and I think this speaks to what you were saying earlier, like exploring different lineages, such a valuable. I think as mindfulness meditation has become, has increased in accessibility, I'll speak within the United States and just, I'm thinking about certain apps that 
have become really popular, there is a very specific way that it's taught. And Mm -hmm. that can be really resonant for people, right? That can be, oh my goodness, like I saw that video and now I totally get it. And I feel like I'm in this practice. And for others, that just might not be it. And understanding just because that's what's most accessible right now does Mm -hmm. not mean that that's the only way. And I think we all have access to Google and we can do some research and finding there's YouTube. Like there are so many resources out there. It just requires a little bit of exploration. And I think that's where we come back to, you're not doing it wrong. It's okay. You can find something else that does work for you. And if you are getting the message from a teacher, you're doing it wrong. Turn and, also. Uh, turn and run away. Yes. Or if you find that that is sort of passively reinforced, turn and walk away. Yeah. So anyway, we have covered, I think, some really key points for someone starting out. And I'm wondering any loose ends or closing thoughts? I would say that my closing thought is whatever practice you find your home in, it's a continuous process, not an arrival. Say a little more on that one. That was that was rich. There will always be new challenges that come up with our connection with self, finding tranquility, okay. openness, okay, receptivity within ourselves. And that's part of the experience. It's not an issue with the experience, right? It's that's part of doing it is things are constantly yeah. evolving. Your relationship to it is going to constantly evolve. Mm-hmm. And it's not something that you find, grab, and you go, oh my goodness, I got it. Yeah, it's, yeah. Like, it's not like a trophy or a medal, right? Yeah, yeah. It's not static. It is constantly changing. And being really open to that, I think, can be very freeing. And that mm. means my capacity to meet myself will change. It means perhaps in the beginning, I'm practicing this way. And then I realize, oh, that's no longer supportive for me. It's no longer mm. serving me. And now I'm going to explore something new. I think there's, yeah, again, this continued flexibility, openness, and acceptance that it is constantly evolving. I love it. We're always arriving in that sense. Mm-hmm. I love it. And the, and the cake is never fully baked. Correct. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. Um, for those of us who would love to just dive in, be like, oh my goodness, it's so delicious. Yeah. Simple But Not Easy, a mindfulness podcast is produced by me, Paul Baker. And uh, thank you for putting up with my lack of technical skills. A huge thank you to my guests today for sharing their story and insights. And a thank you to Jacob Morrison, Juliana Castro, and Trevin Stiegel, my friends and mentors in how to make a podcast. I miss you guys. And Andrea Romack, who gave me my first podcast hosting experience at Psychub. And of course, thank you to my listeners for joining me on this journey along the path of waking up and being mindful together. If you find value in this podcast, please like, write a review, and share with your family and friends. Be well all until we meet again in the next episode.